Hello and welcome to another episode of the Total Clarity Podcast. I'm Mike Varley. I'm Jesse Hyatt. And this week is week three of our first month in Manhattan. And we are in downtown Manhattan. And we have with us a native downtown New Yorker, Alexis Strout-Mattis, home from Soho, which is not the most usual of locations when you talk about people coming from somewhere. Yeah. So we're super excited to have her on and kind of uh, pick her brain about what it was like to grow up there. Happy to be here, guys. Thank yeah. you for having me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Soho is a weird place to grow up in and then to be older and say, yeah, I'm from here, especially with such a large family. Um, to set the ground, I can introduce myself as someone from Soho. And my family, I grew up with my immediate family, and it was nine of us under one roof with one bathroom and one water heater. Wow. We were fortunate enough to grow up in one of these original Soho artists' lofts. Yeah. Um, my grandpa on my paternal side was an abstract expressionist in the 70s, which is like what those buildings were used for back in the day. Yeah. And before that, it was an industrial neighborhood where I think it was a wool processing plant. Like they didn't have sheep, but they took it from the sheep there and then had they processed it into yarn cool which ties in with i know the i textiles. would I, we could talk about that <laughs> at some point yeah there's already three threads here yeah we can go down i want to talk threads. About, <laughs> perfect uh i want to talk about your grandfather though because sure. we've talked about him previously and uh he's kind of a big deal i mean you're, i've you're, heard yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. tell us a so little bit were... about how you learned of all of that. So my grandfather, his name is Edvins Strautmanis. Mm -hmm. He is a Latvian immigrant who came here from Latvia with my grandmother. And he was, he started his career in Chicago and he taught at the Art Institute in Chicago. But then around, I think the time of the seventies, caught wind of what was going on in New York City with abstract expressionism and was like, oh, I'm missing the scene time to go out there. Not that he wasn't making his own waves in Chicago where he was the art director of Playboy. Oh wow. In its heyday when no people way. did read it for the articles. <laughs> um, definitely. Yeah. So he uplifted my grandma and my dad and my aunt and moved them to Soho in I want to say the earlier mid 70s. Okay. And that's where our family remains today. Um, but my grandfather's work is huge uh, action paintings, as they're called, and he, they're so large, and they're oils and they're abstracts, they did not make paintbrushes large enough for him. So in our archive, in our family, we have old mops and like rakes that he would literally like slam down and move around on the canvas on the wow. floor or on the wall if that was his method for that one. And that's, they're just full of like huge smatterings of every color of paint. Some are more structural. He had a skull period as every artist does. Oh really? Yeah. Oh Like, wow. you know, haystacks for some, but like it's New York, so it's skulls. Right. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so he, um, we just had a retrospective of his art um, last summer in his yeah. native country in, um, not Riga, it was, I'll get you the name of the city, but it was a very small town in like rural Latvia where there was this huge retrospective and there's like a resurgence of interest in his art, even though he passed away in the early 90s, which is what led to us having the loft available to move into. Because <laughs> it was a lot of square footage for my grandmother to have on her own. Yeah. She was an accountant. She wasn't doing large scale oil paintings. So she was like, oh, you want to move your family of eight into here? Sure. 
there's space for that. Right. So and where were you before that? So before I moved into New York City when I was in third grade. Okay. So when I say I'm from here, this is all I know yeah. and all I remember. But prior to that, we moved four different times before I was in third grade. Wow. So I was born in Canada, dual citizenship. Um, line up, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. And Zapino's like, how do I get on that already? Um, and well, you got married, so that's right. How, right? So now Isn't we have to go to Canada and get a passport. Yeah. Um, but essentially, we were in Canada, and my dad was in sales at the time. So his job kept moving us around and like it was a growing family. Like my mom had six children. So at the time it was me and a few of my brothers and sisters and we moved slowly kind of down south from Canada. We moved to Albany and then we moved to a town near there like called Ravina. And then from there we moved to, I think there was one other spot in between. And then we landed in New York and I started the third grade at a school in the village. Wow. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of how, and so that must have been in like early or mid nineties that yeah. that was, yeah. Did you have a lot of time to spend with your grandfather before he passed away? Or? I didn't have a ton of time. I was very young, but I was yeah. old enough in my siblings that I'm the one that kind of remembers him. He was exactly what you would imagine an Eastern European painter to be like, where it was like smoking like a chimney, drinking like a fish, cursing like a sailor, and having like really off color, unsafe pranks and jokes, like oh not gosh. suitable for kids or any people. Like uh, in these old buildings, there's huge staircases that just go to the top floor. It's just one big giant situation that you can fall down like exorcist style. What? So we oh were on the second floor, which is, the first one but still high yeah and I remember as a kid one of my memories is like running up the stairs because in Albany we'd come visit my grandparents on the weekend and we'd run up the stairs so excited only to have my grandfather and his glass eye pop out of the door and like scare us <laughs> to the point of us almost falling down these two steep steps of stairs like all the way oh so my gosh. he was a character yeah, he um, sounds fun. I'm sure he kept like his marriage very interesting yeah and he would always host people at the house like fellow artists so on the wall of the bedroom that i grew up in is like an original basquiat because wow. he used to hang out there doing i don't know what do you you know <laughs> what do you do in a in a place in so in the 70s while you graffiti on the wall i don't know something you know moral standing um <laughs> but yeah so there was always like parties and hosting guests and like they would go to all of these really old school New York places in the area and like in the um, neighborhood. And everyone who's really old, who still lives in Soho, all know each other because that was the click back then, was just right. like anyone who's been grandfathered in literally to these buildings are all aware of each other because Soho is a small place mm -hmm. and there's so much going on in there. And it's like the European destination because it's so photogenic and it just looks beautiful with the cobblestones but when you break it down it's like a bunch of old people holding on to their square footage right <laughs> like essentially right. yeah <laughs> so did he parlay what he was making from the playboy gig into purchasing that location is that so we never purchased it it's oh, still okay. rent controlled from really? the 70s that's wow. how we're, yeah that's how we're able to be there we don't wow. own property we're just very blessed with like the lease laws here Amazing. everyone we knew has been bought out but um yeah, it was never a money move. And Soho back in the day was not safe. Like right. it was not yeah. a destination to live in. And actually the second floor places were the penthouses because there was no elevator. So to live on the top floor is like 
losers. Because right. <laughs> it's walk up. Yeah, to walk up only. And then the ceilings get shallower as you get higher in these old buildings. Oh, really? I don't know the reason for that, but like second floor has the highest ceilings and then it gets smaller as you go higher. Huh. Weird. Yeah. So it's a bold move by him to go from like a really stable, you know, successful as far as what it means to be a successful job to like, no, I'm going to, I'm going into paintings now. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. He was 100%, I would imagine, just following his passions. Yeah. I'm sure my reserved grandmother, the accountant, was like, oh, I'm totally on board with this decision. Um, but she had a great career here and he just wanted to be on the scene and to be seen wow. and to create what he wanted in the city that never slept. Yeah. And he did that. Wow, that's such a, I feel like that story is the New York story. Like that's what brings people here still now. Yeah. And it's still, it's not the same as it was in the seventies, but it still has like vibrancy and creative people. And even the fact that like your family can still be living there because it's rent controlled and you come from this creative place. That's totally like why people are here. Yeah, it's absolutely a Mecca still. Yeah. Like, what, um, was there any major turning point or like any major changes that you remember in Soho? Or like, what was it like when you first moved here? So, I guess is a better question. I mean, moving here as a child, I would imagine is very different than moving here as an adult. But as a kid, it was like, I was familiar with the area because we visited my grandparents a lot, but it was just like amazing. Like it was awesome. Like everything was at our fingertips. Um, we knew the other kids in Soho, cause mm -hmm. like, again, it's such a small place that everyone in your age bracket, you kind of know. Mm -hmm. Even if you don't know them by name, you know who they are and they know who you are and what street you're on. Um, so everyone was around. Every single subway station, like every train goes to Soho. Like right. there's not a train that you can't take to downtown. So it was always great to have friends over and to have a space large enough to host to host friends. Mm -hmm. Growing up in the city, a lot of families are only children, like a lot of them, mm -hmm. like I think more than people realize. So going to the, like my friends' smaller places where maybe there wasn't food in the fridge because they eat out all the time. Like my house was like the fridge that was stocked and like everyone come over and we have a 10 seat couch because like that's my family's <laughs> situation is we're that many people. Um, but downtown was just always vibrant and it was always exciting and especially going like outside of kind of your borders like as the radius around your house increases that you're allowed to go on your own mm -hmm. that's when it really starts to get exciting when you like gain this independence which I guess in other towns and cities is like getting your driver's license but it's here it's like I can take the subway by myself right. where can I go oh anywhere I want wow. amazing do probably you, farther than I should have gone do you have a memory of like a first independent subway trip that was like that? Oh, I totally got lost. I got really? lost on like my first day of middle school. Really? Yeah, I went to middle school in Chelsea. Okay. And from Soho to Chelsea, it's like not that far. Shouldn't be. But I just, I got to school okay. Okay. And then I was leaving school and I knew I had to get on the blue trains, but I wasn't sure which of the trains and which side of the platform. So oh. I just got on one and I went too far. And I remember hearing 34 and I was like, those numbers are too high. I oh, went the wrong way. No. And I get out and I'm near Madison Square Garden. And as a, as a what was it? I was, in, I was in sixth grade. So you see sixth graders, they're really small. Yeah, they're little. And I was just there at Madison Square Garden alone. Like, uh, what do I do now? And I just kind of got scared and like kind of sat down, kind of cried, just like 
we're gonna figure this out, we'll do it together. And then my best friend's older brother walked by and sees me there oh. sobbing. And he's older, he's a teenager. He's like, Alexa? I'm like, yeah, I got lost. He's like, okay, well, I'm gonna stay with you till your parents come or something. I was like, no, no, because it's embarrassing. It's you're like your friend's older brother, they're cool. Yeah. And I was just like, I'll be okay. And like posturing, like I was fine. I was like, I'm so glad Ian found me. Like, that did he was help amazing. You get home he what? did. I was like, I called my dad on a payphone who oh. was just like, you, if you went the other way, you'd be here, but I'll come get you. <laughs> like, dads do. And Ian was like, I'll stay with you till he comes. And he just Aww. sat with me. And But like New York is such a small town in that yeah. way where like if you're in a weird place, you're always going to run into someone. Yeah. It's just the nature of any town that you grow up in where your whole fam, well, we were kind of notorious because of how many of us right. there were. Right. Um, but like people run into you and like it is, I'm running into people left and right in New York. Like it's just that kind of community here. But yeah, that was a memory that I'll always remember because that was, I think, like the last time I got really lost on the train, and yeah. then it was like, okay, I understand how the trains work now. There was well, an uptown and a downtown. Well, I think you have to have an experience <laughs> like that. It doesn't. Most of us don't get to have that experience in sixth grade. Yeah. And yeah. like, but it's good that you. I feel like. I mean, my first getting lost experience. I ended up in Coney Island oh, at no. like one in the morning. <laughs> That's so and different. I had to figure that out, but I was also 19 or something, you know, I was Still scary capable. though. First being lost times are the scary, oh, like yeah. it does, it's the same amount of fear because it's the same situation. Totally, because you're like, I did something wrong and I don't know exactly what I did wrong and have to quickly figure it out. Yeah, there's somebody crying at Madison Square Garden right now. Not sure what age there is. <laughs> right? Hopefully there's an older brother figure that's yeah. helping them. Probably not, but yeah. you know, they'll figure but it maybe. out. But maybe. Yeah, you would have figured it out too. I would have figured it out, yeah. that's the thing. But like at the time I could follow the perfect. pieces because Ian was there. Yeah. Right, <laughs> right. So you, you've already mentioned two schools that you went, a uh, school in the East Village. Mm -hmm. uh, West and Village. West Village. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, the school that you went to in Chelsea. Clinton. Mm -hmm. Clinton. And uh, you met, uh, you told us off camera at some point that you went to LaGuardia as yeah, well. Yeah, I went us, to the Fame School. Yeah, tell us a little bit like? about, uh, well, I'd like to know about all of them, honestly. But sure, like, well, let's start at the beginning. I went yeah. to the John Melser Charette School, which is known by PS3, okay. and then even more informally was known as the Hippie School. Oh. And it was a really cool elementary school that like all the teachers would be called by their first names. This was in the 90s. A lot of our teachers were gay, I remember. And cool. they would like they would openly be talking about adopting a child or having a child. And like it was always something that we were around. And um, my teacher was Greek. So a lot of what we learned in like third and fourth grade was like Aesop's fables, which okay. like ended with like morals and were focused on morality. And like, because he was Greek, we learned about a lot of Greek mythology. So like cool. one of the very first big, you know, you remember like the first big book that you read where you, you're looking at it like there's no way. And it was Homer's The Odyssey. And oh, I was cool. like obsessed wow. with it. It was so interesting You read that in elementary school? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, cool. it, but it was a fascinating story. We got yeah. like the, the, the type of language that was digestible okay. for children, yeah. but it was still a big book. And cool. to this day, it's like, I love that book so much. And now I live in a Greek neighborhood. Um, so full circle there. And then middle school was Clinton. I think it was advertised as like a focus on writing and arts, which I knew I wanted to be in a creative field, at least in my schooling. And this was a weird New York situation where 
Clinton was a school on the top floor of a building of an elementary school. So mm. it was a full-blown elementary school on its own, and then our school was the top floor. Huh. So our middle school had one of those too, and it was very much this system of like, in the, in the staircase, I'd always wonder, am I gonna run into one of the others? Because you really don't talk to each other. And then I became one of the others. Yeah. And if I saw a really little yeah. kid, it would be like, mm, we'd see each other and just go the other way. Like, not that it was like anything was enforcing this. It was just like, we're in different schools. Right, <laughs> right. Um, like one of us is wrong here. Yeah. Right, so Clinton's where I got lost on the subway, but it's also where I learned the subway. Mm -hmm. um, and that was only a short three years, thank God. Middle school is not a fun time for anyone. Yeah. Is it, if it is, get them on this podcast. <laughs> I wanna hear what this is about. Um, and then, so getting into LaGuardia, well first, the, to get into LaGuardia, it's a specialized high school. It's okay. not private, you don't pay tuition, but there are exams that you have to take in your chosen field of what you want to major in. Okay. So even for a high school, you're taking a major and you're taking specialized courses for wow. that. So I wanted to major in art, and the test involves taking your portfolio, which is whatever art you want to show off, it can be in any format. I tried to do as many mediums as I could in terms of drawing and painting, like charcoal, watercolor, pencil, like anything flat on paper I was good at, but no sculptures really. Mm -hmm. um, and then the test itself, I will also always remember because I think I had really, really bad pink eye that was disgusting to the point that I had to wear an eye patch. Oh no! And we had, of course, in my art exam to draw from observation. And I was just like, oh no! And got in. So I was like, this is amazing. Well, you had Luke. like compelling points. You were like, ooh, the eye patch girl. Right? So dangerous. Right? <laughs> she needs also, to like, go here. You know, when you're trying to find perspective and you close one eye, yeah. you're just like always looking in that perspective. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe it wasn't maybe it was an advantage. I don't know. Like eye patch, take them to the art test, try out. Yeah. Um, there were other majors that you could try out for. The majors, as far as I remember, were art was the majority of the school, followed by music mm -hmm. and so instrumental singing, uh, vocal majors, acting, drama majors, dance, like ballet dancers, and then theater tech was the very oh, underdog minority like of majors, was wow. people learning theater tech in ninth grade. Oh my gosh. I wonder where they That's are now. That's so funny. Um, they're well, still there. They're wearing they're black so behind stage somewhere unseen. <laughs> Nobody knows where they are if that's if they're good at their job. Um, so yeah, growing, I mean, going to LaGuardia was such an amazing place because everyone was passionate about something. Mm -hmm. Like this was a school that you had to specifically try out for. So even if like all schools have cliques and like, you know, sometimes you feel like an introvert and like you don't have a lot of friends because you don't have anything in common. Mm -hmm. You're put in a group where you have everything in common with everyone around you. Wow. Um, but that being said, I got into like a really cool group of friends where it was a bunch of different types of majors. It was mostly art, music and vocals. Drama was their own clique and dance kind of hung out with okay. the other dancers because like what am I going to talk about with a dancer? I don't know. Like it's not, at least at the time it was, they all ate lunch together. Right. So that's who got close. It seems like when people are doing like something physical like that together too, yeah. it, it puts them in their own little camp. Like it's not just that you're speaking and like your language is different, but like the way that you're moving yourself around or something, I, like it makes me uncomfortable sometimes yeah. to be around someone that's a dancer. That's how I feel about actors. But I, yeah. With like, dr with like drama majors, it was yeah. always like, you know, let me explain. And then they'd get up and like right. do it. It's like, okay, <laughs> I get it. <laughs> as you get older, you can like appreciate those things yeah, as absolutely. like characters. But when you're a teenager, it's you're a like, lot. I don't know, yeah. am I supposed to do that? I don't want to do that. That's different. Yeah. So, but it was 
was a great school and like it they it really hones in on like different types of art like i was doing nude figure drawing like i was drawing naked people nude people in 10th grade you know and like we had to take it seriously because it was serious but it was jarring like the first time you go to class and at 10 a.m it's like boobs it's like okay that's a lot yeah and then like the male model comes in and you're like all right (laughs) okay there it is right and it's just like this is what i literally tested and hoped to get into right so i did a lot of that in college afterwards was like i really leaned into it Um, what was the student reaction to that like was was it giggling and or i mean not in the room but or like after class after class i mean after class it would always be i mean i feel like the true like students who were looking at it as a craft is like we all had our favorites we all have like the models Mm -hmm. that we looked forward to larger women we were like it's gonna be a good day yeah. so much to draw so many beautiful curves yeah. and lines and like stuff going on if it was like a thin dude it's like what, gonna, is what are we gonna do here for three hours with this guy so, like, <laughs> yeah. yeah but like then there were the snickers or something or like sometimes someone would have something physically on them that maybe we hadn't seen as younger people mm-hmm. and like not understand like some people would have bruises if maybe they were diabetic or something so just like there's a lot physically that you're exposed to that you then unpack with your friends right um but nothing like really jarring or anything like it really i appreciated seeing so many different types of people because the models were really like a reflection of the city and then sometimes you'd see them on the subway like that would happen in college a lot because i went to college in the city Mm -hmm. at sba and a school of visual arts and like I would recognize my models sometimes, but not know where they were from. Right. Like you know when you totally oh, know yeah. you know someone, and you're like, but where? And then they'll mention it, and you're like, right, got right. It, right I remember. It. But like because you have your clothes on, I'm like, who are you? Yeah, exactly. I you're can't like, oh, oh, but I couldn't all. see your rear you're end. Ball. I remember yeah. you. Right. Yeah. Like yeah. except for this one woman who had pink hair, and I would always be like, that's her. Was but, she like, a bigger woman? She was very small, but she was like a yogi, so she could get into crazy poses that would be so fun to like work with. So lots of different body types and like just that in a high school experience was like, I thought very cool. That sounds really cool. Yeah, like it was fun. Like we had pottery, I did photography, like I did etching and screen printing. Like I really had like an art immersion in LaGuardia. And it was just as immersive for the other majors. Like we would have essentially half of our entire day dedicated to these art fields, a matter of what they were, and then still have to do like social studies, math and history Mm -hmm. and like the usual repertoire of of, um, high school classes in addition to what essentially were like AP courses in art. That's so cool. The days were long. They were like from 7.30 to 3.30 sometimes. They were full days. Do you feel like because you were able to spend so much time doing what you loved, did it make you more or less? Or like, I guess you don't really have anything to compare it to, but how did you feel about the other classes, like that basic STEM curriculum that you still Um, had to take? Was it? I didn't do well in math. Like math, if I could have dropped it entirely, I would have. Um, But I did look forward to like social studies I really loved because there's so much art in social studies. Mm -hmm. There's so like learning about artifacts and learning about like tapestries and different statues and like historical references. It's like, that's all art history actually. Um, So it made me maybe more interested in them, but also like, I feel like having so much art made me more interested in school in general. Mm -hmm. Whereas if it was just core curriculum, would I have been, would I've been so eager to get to class like I was for my art classes. Would I would I have cut class more? Right. Yeah. 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 Your husband 
our previous guest, Christopher <laughs> Sapino. Yes. We were talking to him about schools as well, and he was talking about the idea of, you know, getting your child into certain schools and the system that exists in New York that is both competitive and potentially unbalanced, uh, certainly a system to navigate. Do you recall with your parents, you know, that having them having six children, do you recall it being a topic that was uh, uh, one of anxiety or did they kind of like navigate that without you kids knowing? Like It was a lot, I know it was a lot to manage. Like I know that my mom would be the one making sure, essentially being a project manager in the family and making sure that all of the kids met their deadlines wow, for applications yeah. and having their materials ready. But in terms of anxiety, like I don't think that any of us were ever like, oh, I didn't get into the school that I wanted to. Like my brother got into Stuyvesant and then to um, Bronx Science, which mm. are very good schools, but mm -hmm. he's very technically skilled at those things. So I think it was just a matter of everything will work out as it works out. And my mom kind of having the blind faith that like the school that you get into will be fine. Yeah. You know, like it's a matter of how you apply yourself and like those types of things. But in terms of navigating the system, I'm sure it must have been stressful, but it's not any stress that was carried on to us. Preparing for my LaGuardia exam was like probably the most nerve wracked I'd ever been as an eighth grader. Yeah. <laughs> But it was also like exciting because this responsibility is like, it's the first time that it's being put on you. And yeah. like, even as a kid, you're being told like, what school do you want? And like an adult is asking you, what do you want to do at school? And then you have to really think about it for the first time that it's right. kind of like a growing experience, even navigating the system and thinking about these choices and weighing them where like in childhood, you never have to do that. You never have to yeah. cross reference your pros and cons. And it's then nice here in the system you do. Yeah. It's, it sounds like your family really let you make that choice yourself, too. That's why I went to art school for college. Yeah. They really let me just make that choice. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. What did you end up um, majoring in at SVA? So I just went in under fine arts, and I really gravitated towards doing oil paintings. Uh, I did a lot of nude figure drawing because I just loved it so much. And then I kind of had like an unofficial minor because we don't really have minors, but I just loved these projects and would gravitate towards them was art criticism mm. and like writing about art and finding like a language to communicate an artist's vision and communicating what their projects are, how it looks, how it feels to someone not looking at those pieces. I found like really interesting and like leaning on my love of humanities and yeah. social studies with like communicating those types of things. But the art was mostly like large scale oils because they were just fun to do. Wow. And I always liked doing bigger pieces. Do you have any of them still? Um, yeah, I have most of them. They're at my parents' place with my grandfather's paintings. Oh, wow. That's where the paintings are stored. We'll have um, to come look at them at some point. Yeah, I'd absolutely. I have like an ancient blog somewhere where they're up because one of our assignments at SVA was like to create a blog. Like I think it was like for a psychology class or something. And it, like I figured, oh, this is where my art paintings can go. Yeah. Like photos of them. So we can pull those up. Yeah, I would love to see it. Yeah. Totally. So you, there was never a time that you lived outside of the city, right? So you just transitioned from SVA to here. Yeah. What, was, what were some of the first jobs or first job? Like, what did it look like, the transition between schooling and, and living? So I 
growing up here, I like know the city like the back of my hand and my mom actually ran an in-home daycare center after 9-11, which my father lost his job in. So wow. that just, we scooped it up real quick. My mom knew what she was good at, started raising other people's kids. <laughs> and then essentially it really grew into like this homegrown business that spread by word of mouth and became very popular with Manhattan parents who like, if schools are hard to get into, daycares are harder to find. Oh, yeah. So at the time in the early 2000s, mid 2000s, like I was in, I was high school age and I really just, she started kind of pimping us out to the parents as babysitters. Oh, because wow. like her care only extended till 6 p.m. Mm -hmm. After work, come get them. If you need evening or weekend care, take one of my many kids, <laughs> essentially. So we just became the babysitters club and I nannied for a long time because it's great work, you're outside, you're engaging with children usually under the age of five, which mm -hmm. are kind of the easier ages if you're used to that because it's less like critical thinking mm -hmm. and like homework help and more about like Play-Doh and markers and Cheerios. Right, like keeping them And you alive. can do your homework while they nap mm. and you can use your resources of knowing the city to like entertain the kids in a stroller and like knowledge of the subway system. And it just, is, it was an easy transition that I can do schoolwork and then I can nanny and babysit. So I really did the nannying thing for a while. It was decent income and it wasn't hard work. So it really just worked out and I have like, I can't even name how many families I've worked for. Um, none of them were living, none of them were like travel with them, mm -hmm. but I did some overnights and I did work for a Shaolin monk who has a Kung Fu temple here downtown on, if it's still there, it's on Broadway. It's the Shaolin Temple USA. Ooh. And he, um, I forget the word for it, but he basically like abandoned his temple when his temple was touring America because he wanted to live here and to have the American dream. So he got himself to New York and founded the Shaolin Temple. And I remember going to that job interview, which was not through a reference of my mother's. And I walked it, I was like, I found it on Craigslist. It was downtown, it was two older children, but it meant more consistent work. Yeah. And I got to the address of the home and it was this giant door with a dragon painted on it that said, please remove shoes before entering Shaolin Temple. And wow. I'm like, is this the place for the babysitting job? So I go in and there's people doing Kung Fu, like real, like spinning, flipping, kicking Kung Fu. Whoa. And I sit there with like a lot of Mandarin women and I'm there like, I, this might not be my job. Like I'll apply, but I don't, I might not be the pick for this right. one. And I was, and I got to babysit these two awesome kids who were actually the godchildren of Riza from the Wu-Tang Clan because he, <laughs> their father is the one who taught them about Kung Fu. Oh my gosh, wow. yeah. so cool. So that's one of my work transitions. Wow. That's great. <laughs> that's so great. I like met Ghostface one time, like they came over, like it, I was just like, okay. Anyway, I have class and have to leave because it's like three in the morning. That sounds amazing. Yeah, so it's like stuff like that, creative parents, makeup artists, photographers, like just all these creative individuals who live in the city and are like, I'm choosing to live here for my passion mm -hmm. and I happen to have a kid. Right. So just like perpetuating that nature of like, who lives downtown? Oh, Shaolin monks. Right. <laughs> yeah. And then from there it was like an artist assistant for a while, um, just working in a home as like a personal assistant with her archive and everything. 
kind of meandering around figuring out what I wanted to do. And then I got a job at the Cooper Union, which is this great school downtown for artists, ar architects and engineers that I applied to for college but didn't get into. But then I yeah. got the job and it was like, well, I'm here now. But, well, it's funny because it's like <laughs> you would have gone for free, but then they paid you to exactly. be there. Even better. The irony is not lost <laughs> on me. And then from there, I've basically been in like nonprofit higher education communications and fundraising um, since then. And now I'm at um, Cambridge in America. So we represent the University of Cambridge in England. So just real quick career path there. That's great. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it, it's definitely, a, I feel like, a part of the New York story where you're often not going to end up doing the thing that you thought you were at the start, you know? Uh, if you're if a hard worker and there's just so many things to be stimulated by around yeah. here too, you know, that it's, uh, yeah, it can vary so wildly. Yeah, there's opportunities to grasp. Like you never know what it will be. And I feel like that's just, it's gonna continue that way. And that's kind of why I never left. Like if I left here, where would that be? Like where would I be getting the same environments and people and situations and interactions? like? after this and growing up here, where do you go that's not kind of a downgrade in all yeah. those areas? Unless you're looking for just something that is not any of that. Like, unless right. you just want to be in the middle of nowhere alone. Yeah, my sister just moved there. She loves it. Really? Yeah. To the middle of nowhere? Yeah. I don't even know I know where, where that is. Yeah. <laughs> it's not here. It's all the photos she sends me have no buildings in them. <laughs> it's cheaper than South Nowhere, actually. Oh, the yeah. middle, yeah. Middle nowhere is? Yeah, yeah. I don't know why. I haven't been there, but. Um, so as we've been walking around this last week, we're coming from our first week in the city was in Midtown. Our second week was in Central Park. And now we're here downtown. And I don't know if you have anything to say about this concept, but basically Mid Midtown feels very much just gridded. And Mike has sort of a nice thing that he's been saying about that that I'm not going to try and paraphrase because I'll probably butcher it. It's where my office is, so I think I'm going to understand. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Oh, do you want me? Oh, okay. Yeah, so that I was said a, I'm not going to paraphrase it. That was a segue. Mm -hmm. I uh, was thinking this week about how in Midtown, you know, it's very gridded and uh, formal. And we did a walk that was up and down each block. I think we maybe only do that one more time in the year, provided we make it that far. Each block? Yeah. yeah. Okay. First Avenue to cool. 11th Avenue. It's a lot of corners. And yeah. 23rd to 59th. So. It was bizarre. Like, I felt like this crazy time warp and like, yeah. but but it was very mindless. Well, it was, yes, it, it takes out some of the navigation necessary in other areas. Similarly to the Central Park area, there's of course the natural middle, which is definitely a lot of pathfinding, but the, the edges of the Upper West Side, the Upper East Side and everything in between very up and down. And then you get to this week and this has definitely felt like my favorite part of Manhattan so far. And also perhaps, <laughs> you got a pizza pino, yeah. And then also- uh, Keeps it spicy. Yeah. <laughs> also maybe one of the top favorite parts of the city, certainly because I worked down here for six years until recently. But also, I was kind of thinking that there's this sort of uh, feng shui or like uh, urban planning golden rectangle thing mm -hmm. where New York is uniquely advantaged by the fact that it is a conversation between the grid 
and then the natural city growth downtown mm -hmm. where you are spending a lot more time navigating areas and you can your imagination can go with each turn that's happening and and the idea of there being this kind of like sluice way of capital the, that like it, it's a lot less thought that is taken up by having to navigate so you can focus on whatever your task is and it all goes down to where the downtown is where there is people like your grandfather where there is this kind of sense of uh, uh, you know ingenuity to the industry of uptown you know and there's this kind of dance that happens that maybe you couldn't even necessarily plan in other cities you know it would be inorganic and if there was too much of one or too much of the other it would be it wouldn't be new york you know that the grid is just too much of a uh, authoritarian experience and the uh and the downtown is like just too rambling you know yeah and, absolutely yeah. i mean really well said yeah. like that's i the dichotomy is so apparent you know, like I went from living downtown and working downtown to working in Midtown. Like mm -hmm. I work in, usually I work in the Hippodrome building, which is literally next to Bryant Park. It's oh, on wow. 43rd and 6th Avenue. So square, square, square. Mm -hmm. And I miss the energy. I miss the dynamic of downtown. Like every time I would come meet Sapino and you guys downtown by your office, I'd be like, I can't wait to get below Houston Street where like things are a little more lax and like mm -hmm. chill and beautiful and, and organic. And yeah. like the reason that downtown is split up in such a weird way is because of farmers mm. is because when the city was being planned and like roads were being like mapped out they would literally go from farm to farm and ask these farmers who some of whom might have been illiterate just like circle where your land is so we don't build a road through it oh. you do that with enough farms and that's why you have all the triangles in the west village that like aren't big enough for a building because oh, it's just that. like little people were like this is mine this is mine this is mine and then they're like okay <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. so cool i had no idea that that was why yeah i mean it's a part of the reason why i'm sure that yeah. like roads have been repaved but the initial planning of like the village was just that around a village wow. of like people that had their land there yeah but it makes for such a nice walking experience too because i mean my i moved to new york in 2008 i lived in the east village i went to school in what do you even call it? Like, is Central Village, I guess Greenwich Village, like the one road, like 16th and 5th? Um, yeah, I'd say that's the village. That would be yeah. the, like this, the village, but not yeah. east or west. Not <laughs> Greenwich and not east. Right. Just the. Just the. <laughs> but I would walk around the West Village a lot, and I still, even though it's been more than a decade, I do not know my way around. And I love that <laughs> so much. I love just being able to, like, walk and get lost and come upon something that oh my gosh I think I've been here before or I feel like that probably spurs a lot of creativity for the people that oh, lived here and still live here and did you feel like when you were growing up did you just like ever wander around and find yourself in those situations yeah I mean a lot of it was also just like getting myself places like mm -hmm. I had to, in elementary school so really really little like fourth and fifth grade I had to walk to school and I had to walk from Soho to the West Village to Christopher Street, like across 7th Avenue, like big walks for a little kid. Yeah. And this was like, you know, 90s where there would still be like condoms in the gutter and stuff. Yeah. And like as a kid, you're like, what are all these disgusting balloons? Like, oh. I don't know what these are. I know they're gross. 
but it's like stuff like that and the gay pride parade that would happen and like I'd always watch it on TV or be there in person and be like there's my school all these like people on parade floats oh. and like dressed so fancily are like right there so cool. and like yeah it's I mean one big thing growing up downtown about like kind of walking around and being on your own for the first time and discovering new things was like going to Kim's video, like mm. near where St. Mark's place was. And usually we'd like have the okay to hit the Blockbuster on Broadway and that was where everybody was on Friday nights and we'd go take the trek to Blockbuster. And then if they didn't have the movie we want and we all got permission, we could go all the way to Kim's video Whoa. over on like Avenue C Whoa. or wherever <laughs> it was. And it was like, that was a freaky walk as yeah. a kid yeah. to go through on a Friday night through St. Mark's Place to Kim's wow. video was just like so much is happening. I don't even understand what I'm seeing, but I know it's exciting. Yeah. And like none of these people's hair are n normally those colors. <laughs> and what's wrong with everyone's face? Cause like everyone was Tattoos so pierced and, and it was just like, I was aware of it. And I always kind of, even as a kid felt the sense of pride of like, yeah, downtown, look at you being weird, right? And it's just like, that's still the case. Like when I visit like St. Mark's place mm -hmm. or something and I see like Ian's where I eventually would cut class and get something pierced. It's right. like, this is such a part of the city that you can be whatever and whoever you want downtown. Yeah. But if you walk around like that in Midtown where my usual office is in these corporate grids, it's like you really stick out like a sore thumb. But then you see a guy in a suit on like, Avenue D and it's like what's this what are you doing, doing here? <laughs> <laughs> totally. 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 Did you um you said you got piercings on St. Mark's? Yeah. What? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do. Yeah, that's where I got this. Yeah, I got my tongue pierced there. No, I got my Whoa. tongue pierced on Sixth Avenue. Yeah. Okay. It's not anymore. Was that your first like no. oh my god, that would be diving in with both feet. I used to have I did a lot of these myself, but mm -hmm. I had my cartilage done on St. Mark's at whatever okay. tattoo and at Ian's. I had my lip pierced at whatever tattoo, which I kept a secret from my mom until I literally got accepted to college. And then she found out it wasn't fake because I tricked her. I oh like kept gosh. a fake one on and she'd be like, show me it's fake every now and then. And it's like, it is. And then college orientation, she came with me and she's like, take it out. I'm like, I can't. Sorry, I'm in college now. And I just had a lip ring and a tongue ring that she still hadn't known about. Um, Did yeah. she ever find out about that? Uh, I don't know how she would have, but Is at that point it's really that? out of her hands. <laughs> yeah. I think she knew I had one eventually, but yeah, that was uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah, I would think so. <laughs> yeah. We were talking about fake IDs earlier today. Did you have a fake ID? Of course. Oh, great Could question. you tell us about your first, you recall getting your sure, first? Sure, yeah. So you get fake IDs, or you did at the time in the Diamond District. And mm -hmm. I knew someone who knew someone, and we went there like in the middle of the day, in an afternoon. I forget if it was like a half day or something, or if we cut. But you go in, and they take your photo, but then they put it on an ID of like a made-up person mm -hmm. from a different state. And I think I made up a name, because it was like, ooh, made-up name. I don't know, because I didn't want my name on a fake ID, yeah. you know, because okay. yeah. So I forget my last name, but I think my first name was like Cadence, because I really liked how cool it sounded at yeah. the time. And yeah, I used that to go out. Like I would use it to go to Miss Shapes nightclub. I went to the Limelight and saw the New York Dolls like when it was still going. Like cool. it was, I went to CBGB's, like it was, I, it was a necessity for me. Mm -hmm. Also like in high school, I was dating someone like a little bit older and I wanted to like go out with them. So right. like I needed this too as like a passport for dating. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was really, I loved it. And I never like took it too far or like was trying to like aspire to be 
in any of these like really elite nightclubs. It was just like, let, where can we like drink PBRs till four in the morning mm -hmm. and then walk home and then go to class? Right. Like, so yeah, I loved having a fake ID. It did get taken away at one point and then it was like, okay. And then I remember being 21 and getting my ID and it's like, now I can go anywhere. And it's like, do I want to though? Like, it's so exhausting. <laughs> Like, I'm never using that ID for that now, especially now. Yeah. <laughs> I remember going into a bar that I had been going into for three years with my fake ID for my 21st birthday. Exactly. The beer garden's <laughs> like that for me in Queens right now where yeah. I live because I would always be there underage. And yeah. now, like, I'll still get carded and it's like, oh, man. Like, okay, here it is, sir. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah there's something funny about but like. Do you remember handing the fake, like, were you always nervous? Um, a little bit. I was pretty cocky when I okay. was younger and I was always very tall, mm. which really helped. Mm -hmm. um, also like the piercings and the purple hair. That probably like, helped, helped me too. too. Um, but I'd say it's all attitude. Like if you hand it to them, like don't even waste my time with asking me questions about this. It's like, sometimes you just get in. Yeah. I think it depends on the group that you're with and mm -hmm. like everyone's attitude as you approach the door. But with the right. ID itself, it's like the doorman just wants to take a look at something so his boss sees and it's so like yeah okay like, go ahead yeah if you have id you have id right you know he's checking id every there's an understanding <laughs> or I think there that, was that might be something that new yorkers have a leg up on other people or even people in cities in general which is the concept that anybody that's in a position of nominal authority is really just looking to get through their day. They don't mm, really care, yeah, yeah. you know. I, remember, I just had such a respect for authority growing up. I thought like, well, they're doing their job and they're gonna defend that, you know, that whatever they're, and it's they like, no, care. nobody cares. Especially if you're a girl and you're yeah. like, I wanna go to this club. It's like, okay, like yeah. go ahead. That's who we right. want in the club, go right. in. Like, who cares how old you are? Not yeah. okay, but like, it was fun. No, but that's how it is. That's how it works. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a group of three girls and maybe one guy, and that's how we'd all get there. Mm -hmm. It's like, we'd have, to, we'd have to have enough girl friends to take our guy friends. <laughs> Do you remember what state it was from? I want to say Arizona. I'm oh. not sure. It definitely was nowhere I'd ever been. Yeah. <laughs> Far enough away, exotic enough. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. you started never, with an A. Did you yeah. ever get hassled? So one time I was not allowed in because I had one from Canada and the bouncer started asking me questions about Canada. Right, and I was like, no one's from Canada. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like he start, he like was like, what's the grocery store in your town? Did he was he Canadian? I don't know. <laughs> he didn't let me in. <laughs> That's weird. Did one, that ever did anyone ever ask you like so weirdly, I, because I've never had a driver's license, when I even was of age, I had a passport card. And that's oh. the card that you get with your passport as a state and federal ID in the mm -hmm. card itself. And you can use it to travel to Mexico and Puerto Rico. Okay. Plug for passport cards if you don't have a driver's <laughs> license. So, but it like looks really weird. It's like got this weird holographic flag on it. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it, it's very extra and it doesn't look like any existing ID, let alone a New York state ID. So I've handed this, accurate federal ID to bouncers before and they're like what is this and I'm like it's a passport card and they're like I've never seen this before and it's like I know but it's federal can you check the back and yeah. like some won't let me in the really? well not anymore but when I first got it when I was right. 21 or 22 it was like no one had had them because they were new mm -hmm. but it's like 
that's not even state, man. Like, that's the federal government. Right, right. Yeah. Like, quit hassling me. If all my friends are, like, 25, why would they be trying to hang out with a 19-year-old? That's, like, like just, has this weird, right, like, like, shitty fake ID. So, like, the real ones have been hassled. But, I mean, I'm sure that I was turned away from certain places. But then, because you're in New York, it's just like, okay, what's this night going to be now? Yeah, I'm like, like, well, let's go over there. Let's get something. some 40s and ride the A train all night. Like, whatever. <laughs> We're going to Far Rockaway. Let's We're do going this. To Forest Hills. <laughs> like, I spent time in Forest Hills. I don't know why it was so far away. <laughs> yeah, as you got older and you were going to high school at LaGuardia, did you have more friends that were from different parts of oh, the totally. city? Oh, totally, yeah. Because kids from all over New York would try to get in. So that's when I really started hanging out in Brooklyn more, especially mm. Park Slope. It hasn't changed, but that's always where the families have been. Yeah. Um, but, like, yeah, Yorkville is a place that I really hung out in a lot. That's, like, East 70s. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, like, very, very East Side 70s, 60s, some lower 80s. But, mm -hmm. like, Yorkville is its own neighborhood. It's, like, the not nice Upper East Side, essentially. Right. Like, when you think of Upper East Side, Yorkville's not what you're thinking of. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, like, Upper West Side. And, like, also just meeting kids from other high schools as you, like, go to parties and, like, you meet people that way. And you're mm -hmm. like, oh, you're at Beacon. My brother goes there. And, like, oh, you're at this school and like I played them in volleyball last year and like you just the public school system in New York is like if you're within a certain age bracket the ability to overlap with other kids is so huge mm -hmm. in like all these different like environments essentially yeah so what are if you were to you had a friend visiting and they're just going to spend time in downtown for like two or three days what are what are some of the hits where where would you send them to I mean I it's weird because like I haven't once I moved out of here, and even when I was living here, like, I didn't hang out in the places that were right next to my house. Like, right. the restaurants closest to my house, I'm like, what restaurants? Because, like, everything is so overpriced in Soho and kind of always has been. But I do think that Green Street, the street I grew up on, is just beautiful. Like, it really is stunning. It really looks like Europe. And just walking around Soho as a historical district, which is not permitted to put in, like, neon signs or anything flashing, that it truly is, like, stuck in time and its facades. And that's, like, a vision of old New York. So highly recommend that. And then definitely just journeying to St. Mark's Place, because as much as things are changing around it, like, it's still kind of gritty and gross and mm -hmm. cool and you can just have so many types of food there like any type of food under the sun you can find in like that part of the village um i love washington square park just because it's so iconic but then so peaceful at the same time and then not peaceful at all at other times <laughs> so it's like a real toss-up there and union square and that area just because it has been like so filmed and that's really a place where if you don't know what you want to do with your day, if you just sit in Union Square long enough, like you'll figure it out. Like you will go on an adventure based on something you see there or hear there or catch a whiff of or see a farmer's market. Like that's just, it's wherever you want to go from that place. Um, specifically, let me think if there's anything that I would really vouch for um, downtown. I mean, I always liked walking to, like, Battery Park and stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, that was kind of a far walk that was through a weird neighborhood, like, financial district, yeah. where it's just like, just get through it. There's water at the end. And you just open. Because <laughs> it's strange in that neighborhood. Yeah. And because of 9-11, like, I don't know about, like, anyone who grew up downtown is not, like, like super psyched to go to right. that area yeah. but then you're past it and then there's just like the view of the Statue of Liberty and like this fresh oceany air that mm -hmm. you don't really get on either sides of the river but downtown you like catch an ocean spray and it's like you just look out on the ocean and like that's lovely um, what, but, was, what yeah. was the 
What was the park the uh, that passed under the bridges like when you were growing up? Like the Williamsburg, Brooklyn, and oh, Manhattan bridges. Parks? Yeah, like that. Oh. Was that developed yet, or was it kind of? I'm not sure. I don't really think I spent much time in that area because that was pretty far over. Yeah. And even currently, that neighborhood hasn't really changed that much. Mm -hmm. That it can still be kind of unsafe at night. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that that's like where we would play soccer on the weekends with like our downtown league is oh, because cool. there were sports fields there. So I think my sister, who was more into soccer and therefore a more serious player her teams would play there, but I think I probably only just played a few games, but that wasn't really like a locale of my own. Yeah. Um, we did hold down Thompson Street Playground, which was a public park. It's since been renovated, but it used to have an above ground pool in the middle of Soho. Wow. And that was a so weird. And like not a Soho house pool, like yeah. a really gross backyard style above ground pool that was public to the city. Wow. And me and all these neighborhood kids would go there, not kids from school, but kids who lived in the area. Yeah. And it was this great generational situation of like kids my age, kids younger than me and kids older than me that would all be together. So in that way, it always felt safe, even mm -hmm. if it was just a few people there, because like the older kids would look out for the younger ones. And right. like no one's hassling the teenagers because they were like big guys who went to Francis Xavier High School. Like they played like lacrosse and stuff. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. But they all knew you. You were like the, yeah, the, the younger kids. siblings yeah. or something. Yeah. Yeah. The Stroutmanis people were definitely known. Right. <laughs> Too many. You couldn't not see us. A hearty clan. <laughs> yeah. Where or would your parents take all of you if you were to go out to eat? Like, what was a family-friendly oh, food location? Oh, man. So that, location? like, never happened sure. because it was so expensive. But there was this, it's not there anymore, but there was this amazing barbecue place on the corner of Wooster and Spring across the street from Chanel that is now a crock store. And it was called, Ten it was, it was called Tennessee Mountain. And the streets of Soho would smell like barbecue sauce because, like, it's a pretty empty neighborhood early in the morning and late at night because yep. of the tourism. And it would smell like barbecue wow. and smoked meat. And, like, every, like, once a year we'd go there and just splurge on, like, ribs and, like, chicken wow. and we'd all eat there. And that was one, like, big formal occasion. But we'd go to dim sum a lot because yeah. we can all just inhale oh, okay. shrimp dumplings for half an hour and then the bill comes and it's like $24. Right, and you have the big like circular table. Yeah, and... so we could always be seated. It was always immediate, which when you're dealing with six cultures, like feed them right now, yeah. please. Right. And they would, the carts would just come up and we could unload them and everyone was happy and yeah. everyone could pick what they liked, which was something we couldn't really do at home was we were all eating the same things, but we all had such different tastes that at dim sum it was like meatballs for Claire, shrimp dumplings for Alexa, chicken feet for Max if he's adventurous, or chicken feet for Claire, meatballs for Max. Whoa. If they watch this, we need to get that right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that I feel like whoever eats the chicken feet wants to be known as the person that eats the chicken feet. Yes. Yeah. That totally is one of the best experiences I can imagine for kids where it's just like you get to pick whatever you want. Right. You know, and, and you point and then they give it to you, which is not how restaurants work. No, and yeah. it's not usually how it would work at home or like it's not polite. Yeah. Really. And in, uh, in like the culture that you're probably in most of the time. Yeah, I I would recommend dim sum to someone visiting downtown. And also just like bouncing around those neighborhoods that mm -hmm. are so sidled up next to each other. Like so close to my house, it's like you're in the biggest retailer area for like these giant designer stores. And then you go two blocks over and it's like Cannoli Avenue with just right. like pizza places mm -hmm. everywhere. And then across the street from that is like OTB places and dim sum houses and stuff like, and like teas and stuff. And then all these like street fair things going on. Like um, 
the street fair that happens downtown is the Feast of San Gennaro. Mm -hmm. And that was all, like, that was a bittersweet street fair because it's like, it's the end of summer. Right. But oh my God, the feast is here. Right. And it's just like, a, you know, we would all be like given like $10 to go and play games or do whatever we want with it. And so, so like fun. someone would try to win goldfish and someone would just be like, I'm going to spend it on food. And it was so fun. It's such a staple of New York City. And it just, the smells are so familiar. Like even now when, usually in normal years, when a street fair goes on, it's like, do we want to go to Gennaro this year just to like, you know, mosey around? Because the games aren't as interesting and you know they're right. just out for money, but you just want to be there to be in the crowd. So this yeah. year might be different, but like the Feast of San Gennaro was just like such a staple of school supply season and the last hurrah of summer, really. Yeah. <laughs> it's so nice to hear you talk about some of these things that like, there are these classic things that I, as a non-native New Yorker, am almost like embarrassed to say that I enjoy because it's almost like touristy or like cliche or something, you know, like the Feast of San Gennaro is like, it is so fun. Yeah. But I'm like, I almost don't feel like I can promote it because then like a native New Yorker will be like, well, that. <laughs> but you're a we native New Yorker. <laughs> and it's so, it's so nice to hear you say like, that is because it really is fun yeah and, and like as a kid it's so exciting it was like mm -hmm. the carnival coming to town right, literally right and it was really funny after after 9-11 it was hilarious but there was this guy who was in the dunk tank and he was the clown and he would hurl horrible insults at you to egg you on to get you to dunk him mm -hmm. and he was a 9-11 first responder and you knew this yeah and you still wanted to dunk the shit out of this oh guy God. because like he was just so mean yeah and it was just this kind of thing that continued on at the feast like when it was i don't know if it's still him but i remember seeing him the same guy every year and being like i know he's a hero but like fuck that guy <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. But that means he's a good performer, too. No, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I could never dunk him. It was so far. It was a game for, like, old, like, for the dads to do, to impress right. their wives or girlfriends or whatever. And, like, as a, you know, tomboy kid, I'd be like, meh, and it, like, airballs. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Were there, are there any other, like, mass family activities you can think of that you guys would do? I mean, it was hard, you know? Yeah. Like, we don't even fit in cabs like it was difficult like to get into a cab when we were all really little and like still lap sized we would have to hide behind like mailboxes and garbage cans <laughs> and then the trick was my mom would get the cab door open with the baby yeah and then you know help the guy would help her get the stroller into the trunk and it's like okay get in the car like while and, like, he's literally helping. sneaking into the cab um but in terms of mass family outings it was like there wasn't a lot that we could do all together and like as we got older we all had our independent like groups of friends and like we were very independent as a family in that way but group outings were more like group stay-ins mm. where we'd have family over and we'd like have big parties with like friends and my parents friends and it like we were the place that people would come to so yeah. like we in that sense created a destination and like I still look forward to that when they happen now in my adult life because it's like who can we pack in there yeah. like who can come everybody can come in a lot of households it's like portions who's coming head count play settings and it's like bring whoever we'll figure it out sit on the floor there's more to go around like and that was really what we did as a family was just like be home because it could fit us all yeah <laughs> yeah i mean we've been to your family's house and it's so nice 
It's and it's really like I think the first time you invited us over there, I was like, "Oh, are you sure?" Like, like in I was in the, imagining like small, small apartment. Soho yeah. apartment and like thinking like, was, like I don't know if I'm like dressed well enough or something for this, and like I don't know like our her family's okay with this and You're, then yeah, yeah and always. then they definitely were yeah, it was really especially because nice you guys are tall my mom really likes tall my tall friends really i would bring short friends around in high school which were most people because not everyone is 5 10 in ninth grade and my mom would say like why are you with all these short girls it's like they're lovely like what don't be prejudiced against their height it's like you're only five five mom (laughs) or five seven i should say but like at the time it was like what's the big deal but like yeah she'd love you guys because you have the high ceilings so she can show off like how tall the ceilings are in the apartment she has tall kids like i get it but like tone it down (laughs) (laughs) that's really funny what were some of the because i i seem to recall that there was a type of like a pizza bread or like a type of bread oh, that yeah, you had at the, the party bread. the bianca bread yeah. yeah like so tell us about that but also like you're hosting so many events were there some like tricks up your sleeve you had when you were hosting that like you know get set up each time i mean the bread is a big hack for the party because yeah. like there's this bianca bread that you order i think it's thompson street bakery and you need to order it a day in advance because it's literally like eight feet long but essentially if you get that to your house in time for a party as long as your people have like bread to eat Mm -hmm. like they're not going to be that hungry or get that wasted yeah i did have some parties in like high school and college that got out of hand because it's like when you have a party in a space like that and like everyone's just being so free-wielding it's like friends can invite friends Mm. and then you i'm seeing people in my house that i'm like i don't know you right to the point that one time i saw this girl that i knew from like one of my classes and i went up to her and i was like hey what are you doing here she's like oh my god alexa what are you doing here i was like i live here who did who invited you and it's like they would get that big sometimes um but tips and tricks are really just like have water always available like any good party tip and then Anyone who comes in, if you have any rules, just tell them at the door. You know, like all you can do is like to communicate is like mention to everyone, like there's one bathroom, so be brief and be clean. Um, And because one time I had someone pass out in the bathroom and no one could get in and I had to like get, I had to like do the knife in the door trick to get it open and like remove the person so other people could pee. So just like stuff like that. But yeah, provide enough food, provide enough water, even if the food is just bread. And if you, yeah, communicate your rules to your guests if there are any. Because, like, we're a shoes-on household. There's not a lot of, like, formality. There's no dress code ever. Just be above Uh, (laughs) (laughs) 5'7". You you could have one of those rulers that they have before you get on a roller coaster. Like, honestly, my mom would love that. Um, But I don't know. I I was raised in, like, the people that I grew up around is, like, always bring something. Like, Mm -hmm. even if it's not something too imbibe or eat like bring something to someone's home Mm -hmm. like not that i'm asking for anything but that's just those are party manners that i try to abide by right to this end and i'm maybe misremembering the story a little bit so we might be deviating slightly but i do recall that chris either came to your house or you were at a mutual party at one point oh yeah so when we were dating we found this out and i think because in our early in our courtship i like as a dating question i asked like you know have you ever been in a fight because that's like a good question to ask yeah. someone you're dating because you want to know what that was and he was like 
Yeah, one time, not a fight really, but one time I did punch this kid in the face and I was like, all right, let's hear that story. And he's telling me the story and I was like, wait, was this on like 86th Street? So the story was that I was at a friend, a girlfriend's house, um, Armand Asante's daughter, okay. <laughs> as you do when you go to the fame school. And um, so we were at her mom's place and she and her sister were gone. So it was an empty apartment and she had a party. And like we were just smoking pot and like close friends and some friends of her boyfriends, but just like an empty apartment to smoke weed in with your friends. Yeah. And then like I was in the bedroom, but I heard a shuffle in the living room. Mm -hmm. And apparently like these smelly boys who nobody knew like crashed the party and like our my friend's boyfriend, who was like a bigger dude, like could play football, like asked them to leave and like then told them to leave and they wouldn't. So he started like physically posturing for them to get out. And then I just remember Jason running into the bedroom, like more angry than hurt and being like, one of those kids punched me. And he was so angry. And then on this date, I'm like, you punched Jason that night? You were the one that punched him? Because I never saw him. I never right. saw Sapino this whole night. I was like, there's strangers here. I'm staying in the bedroom. I'm yeah. not getting involved in that. And he was the one that punched my friend's boyfriend in oh the face. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Were you impressed or were you like, like I what? was just shocked. You I was just shocked. like, of yeah. course that's, because that was the thing when we met was like, we're the same age. We went to schools mm -hmm. in the same neighborhood and we know a lot of the same friends. How have we never met? Right. Was like, that was the mystery surrounding when we met each other was like, how have we not met each that other? That would have been the time you would have met if that punch hadn't right. happened. So I kept trying to figure out like, I'm sure at some point our paths have crossed. Let's get down to it. Right. Right. And that was just, you know, the river running under our courtship was like, I'm sure I'm going to make a connection. And it was, did you ever get in a fight that like unearthed this connection Amazing. that he punched Jason in the face at my friend Allie's house that one time? Like he was the smelly kid. Right. <laughs> Which very much connects to what we talked about with him last week. Oh, right. Yeah. He did yeah. explain being the smelly teen. He's not embellishing that. Like that was what, that when Jason came running into the room, that was the description of those guys. Oh I don't know gosh. who else was with him, but it was like, let's get these smelly strangers out of here. He brought he brought a knuckle sandwich to the party. That's yeah. you know that's not etiquette. You know no. that's just not. He did it out of re like he kept saying like it was out of reflex because Jason was like threatening with a knife, but Jason wasn't gonna stab anyone. It was just get out of my house. You're not permitted here. I mean he is and wielding Cepito a knife. And panicked and was like ah and like just that's how it happened. So wow. did, when he was telling the story, was there. Was it an enjoyable story or did he start getting anxious that he was going to feel judged or like, were you guys far enough along? Oh no, we were just, cause I wanted, I was interested. I yeah, was yeah. like, I, tell me, I'm not going to yeah. judge you. I'm asking for this information. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. who would I be to be like, tell me and like, ooh, not that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I was just floored. I was just like, you're that guy. We were one punch away from each other in wow. high school. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's probably good that you met when you met. Though. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I wouldn't want to meet that kid. Ooh, yeah. horrible. Well, and then but you no always judgment. remember him as, as that <laughs> kid. Yeah. How did you meet? We met at a party downtown. We met on the Lower East Side. Oh. Yeah, we, I was, I had been invited there by a mutual friend of ours. I had just gotten out of a, like a serious relationship like six months prior. Um, and so had he, like we were both kind of newly single. So we met at a party on the Lower East Side. I had just gotten off of one of my nanny gigs, so I'm arriving at midnight totally sober, which mm -hmm. is like a really cool vibe to walk into always. So like I put on some lipstick and I'm like, I'm just one of the party people, like right. needing alcohol to catch up with everyone. And I see him 
and he looks so good. Like, he looks so good at this party, like, compared with everybody else who was there. I was like, I'm gonna talk to this guy because he's like got eyeliner on and I love his shirt and I'm just, I'm digging his vibe. So let me go up to him. So I go up to him and I'm like, excuse me, I love your makeup. Like, did you get ready like this for this party? Like maybe he had somewhere else to be. And he was like, he was kind of already drunk, but he was like, I'm not, this isn't makeup. These are my eyes. And I was like, oh, cool. And I kind of just struck up this long conversation with him, assuming wrongly that he was gay because of how impeccably he was dressed and like his good manners and because I thought he had makeup on, right. which, all of which is wrong to assume about anybody, <laughs> but I just, I made that mistake so many times before and I just did it again. Um, so we're dancing and I'm like really, really vibing with him and he totally full-blown makes out with me like the night that we met. Oh wow. And I'm like, so mixed feelings. I'm like kind of pushing him off because I'm like, okay, so number one, surprise. Um, pleasant surprise, this is cool, I'm into it. But number two, let's chill because there's like another guy at this party who I went on a bad date with and claimed I just, I'm not ready to move on. Cause <laughs> you know, like I was out of a relationship. I told him the truth, Yeah. but I was into this guy. So I'm like, let's not let him know. Right. So Subpoena's like, which guy? And I'm like, the guy over there. And he's like, that guy? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, oh, well, we're really good friends. I was just at his country house. And I'm like, what is happening? No. So that's how we met. Wow. Uh, yeah, a week after that, I went to Colorado and like broke my phone and fell off the face of the earth for a while. And he was trying to get in touch with me and couldn't because I was in a different state with no yeah. cell phone. So then he had been like asking my friends about me and like, what's her deal? And like, how separated from this other guy is she? And like getting the intel. And then one day, like weeks later, um, the same friend that invited me to the party was like, come to the park, we're playing Frisbee. And I was playing in, I was living in East Harlem and I was like, oh, easy. I can look like shit and bike over there and uh -oh. just play Frisbee with my boys. And then Sapino's there dressed perfectly, oh. looking awesome. And I roll up on my bike, like covered in sweat, like unshaved armpits, like, hey guys, oh, party makeout guy is here. <laughs> And then we just hit it off and we started Aww. dating. Yeah, and then we just got married on May 28th during this, you know, year yeah. to have like a shining light for our families when like nothing good was happening. So uh. we were like, we'll make something good happen. Yeah. yeah. We, so that's I, how we met. That's funny. an amazing <laughs> yeah, story. I also love that like, the time that you almost met, he was the smelly boy. Right, and, and I then was you like met the in like this beautiful, you had this like great party night, and then your second like accidental meeting, you kind of showed up as like the smelly one. Yeah, so I it, definitely which was. he probably fully understood. No, he didn't even care days. or notice. He was, yeah, so, he was he just like, I'm so happy it. to see you again. I was like, uh, right, because I gave you my number instead of reach out, and then ghosted you immediately because I broke my phone. So. Yeah. Love conquers Aww. all. If it's meant to be, it, it'll happen. Yeah. He tried to break his way into that party and it didn't happen. So it happened at a different it one. It happened at the right time. Yeah. That's great. I was, it's funny that you describe him as impeccably dressed twice. And when we did the introduction for him last week, I said he was a, an impeccable dresser and it, he was wearing a shirt that you had purchased for him. It's a mutual love of prints. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but he, I mean, he is a very good dresser. He, he is, he's good snappy. Sense of style. I like it. My yes. grandma likes that about him too. Aww. She's the first time she met him. She was like, very good, very good outfit. Love his hair. I was like, right? Well, yeah. he also kind of has an old world swarthiness to he him as absolutely well. absolutely does. Yeah. yeah, he looks like probably photos that my grandmother's used to seeing. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. That's a farm boy if I ever seen one. Yeah, like would be handsome in her time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And I mean, yeah, he's, he really fits in with your family, right? I mean, uh, every time, a, a, you know, 
He seems very caring for your family. I mean, he's generally a caring person. Yeah, but. he loves it because he has so much love to give and he loves his family so much, but it's just his mom and his brother. And now he has like two brothers-in-law and three sisters-in-law and like another grandma and another mom. And it's just, and then on top of that, it's all of my Latvian relatives who are like the most welcoming and boisterous and just like love it when the family grows. Like, I don't know what everyone has planned, but everyone loves how big our group is getting. That's great. <laughs> yeah. That's great. It's been really nice. It's making lockdown like a breeze. This year is like easier with like living with someone like him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's good to, it's good to like who you're with right now. Yeah. Yeah. This is like the. This is the, the, this is the year. This is yeah. the year that you're gonna know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so you live in Astoria, mm -hmm. and what were your expectations? What was your adventure level? I mean, obviously you had friends from everywhere, but you know, living in Manhattan, what was your perception of Queens prior to moving in? How has it changed? So I liked Queens to move to because I thought a lot hadn't changed. And I spent time in Astoria in high school because I was dating someone who lived out there. I was really familiar with like the park and the subways and just like the overall bodega-iness of the neighborhoods, mm -hmm. like with the above ground trains. And I just, I thought that it made sense for a cheaper place with more square footage, but um, I didn't think that Queens had changed that much and the way that Queens is, has changed recently, like some small businesses I'm sure were being pushed out due to condominiums going up, mm. but that's when buildings were like dilapidated and literally couldn't stay up. And the subways there have been so improved. Like there were lockdowns on the subways for a while where like entire stations were closed and that really upended mm -hmm. a lot of people's daily commutes. But like now that they're all open and now that there's handy capable stations, it's like welcome to the 21st century. Mm -hmm. They're all clean, they're all well lit and they all have Wi-Fi. And it's like, they're, they were all already beautiful because they're above ground. Mm -hmm. So we can see the sunset and then be in this like pristine renovated station. And it's like, I feel like it's like the creme de la creme of subway. It's definitely a different subway experience than the train that I took to middle school. Right. Like the underground C train. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I liked, I, I like Queens a lot. It's like, it's a good place to be right now in my life. Mm -hmm. I feel like we want to explore other boroughs. Like we, neither of us has ever lived in Brooklyn. Right. And we feel like that's a borough that we missed the boat on when it was, when Williamsburg was really like coming up and into its own when we were in high school, when it had just kind of graduated from an unsafe place to like the cool, but still kind of edgy area. It's different now. Um, where it's kind of only transplants. And for that reason, mm -hmm. I'm, I feel almost intimidated to go there because it's just, it's not a world of New Yorkers, which is what I'm used to and familiar yeah. with and therefore comfortable in. It's everyone that have sought out this place, mm -hmm. that have made the decision and left their lives at home behind to come here and do them. And it's like, I have yet to do that anywhere. So coming into that neighborhood, it's just, it's so, it's a little overwhelming for me, but I feel like other pockets of Brooklyn, we want to explore more and we want to maybe live in one day. Um, Cause right now it's only been Manhattan and Queens. Mm -hmm. um, but before Astoria and East Harlem, I loved that neighborhood a lot too. Oh, That's changed yeah. a lot, but also not very, at least since I moved out of it. Um, and that's still like old New York, like Spanish Harlem with all of like the Mexican food places and the women who sell tamales on the corner, like two of those in my backpack on the way to class. And like, they'd still be hot at lunchtime. Oh, yum. Like I miss those. Yum. I wanted to like, when we were considering our wedding in the park, I was like, what if we asked a tamale lady? And we all, cause it would be, 
you know, like these little handheld individual servings that would tide yeah. everyone over, but we wouldn't have to pay a caterer. Oh, we could pay a, nice. an individual woman. So it didn't come together, but like yeah. maybe at the reception. That's a great idea. Yeah. I like that a lot. Yeah. yeah. And totally. it would be a good, probably good business for her too. Yeah. I mean, we definitely pay her for her time, but yeah. it's like, it's just the nostalgia of like living there and like loving that commute too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's interesting to think about where you might be interested in living after this you know the idea of living in a brooklyn area like williamsburg when you're describing it might not have the same certainly it's not the same area but your aims now as like a married young professional versus being an early 20s right. you know single person you know it changes and then it becomes like well what is the intersection of brooklyn that's like still has the novelty and like perhaps edginess but certainly like something new for you yeah while uh being quiet at night being quiet or yeah. being whatever whatever your you know aspirations are you know yeah. it gets i think it gets I guess I can't say harder. I guess it's, it just gets different. It just gets yeah, different. we have to be more in touch with what we want, you know, which is like a challenge in itself. Like Queens makes sense because I was commuting to Midtown and it was mm -hmm. a simple commute and easy and I liked how quiet it was, but I liked how many bars and restaurants were there. Food in Queens, oh my God, amazing. Yeah. But like, I don't know how much longer it will be interesting. That's mm -hmm. what we're talking about now because we've been barely leaving it for months right it's like i wonder what else is out there right <laughs> well i think yeah post covid new york we just have no idea what that's going to look like yeah. and what the different neighborhoods are going to be like and prices and all the things yeah. that we think about when moving yeah we've been talking about it earlier today that jesse saw an article suggesting that the prices in manhattan at least have gone down from 3600 to 3200 yeah. average and like that's not the floor. Yeah. I mean, you know, between now and whenever this, you know, is over, it's going to go down right. further. And yeah. it's gone down to like a 5% empty uh, That's high for rate, which is really high. Yeah. yeah. Friends I think of mine just moved into a place. usually around 2 or 3 or something. That was totally discounted for wow. them just because it's like no one's moving to the city right now. It's yeah. like downtown, it has outdoor space and it's less than 3 grand. I'm like, yeah. how? how? How does that exist? But they yeah. got it. Like now is a good time. It's the moment. Mm -hmm. But it might but it might be it's it might, like the stocks almost. It's like is it the moment or is it going further or like what's going to happen? Yeah. yeah. And you know we're very pleased with where we live. If you're listening, Letitia, we're very pleased with where we live. <laughs> yeah, we love where we live. Yeah, uh, but it is it is interesting for people that are committed to being here. You know, mm -hmm. it's like, huh, there's might be some opportunities coming up here. You know, rather Absolutely. than the people that are like, well, I guess they said 400,000 people have left in the past few months. And they don't know who's coming back, and Cuomo's like wants to plead with the billionaires to like come back, and you know, <laughs> you know, people at our tier are like. Uh, let's see what happens. What, you know, we don't, what good, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, no one's asking for them. Yeah, I don't, I don't think so. <laughs> Although, I'm, I don't know if this is interesting podcast information, but, like, how does it work tax-wise? Like, if a billionaire is working in New York City, but living outside of New York City, are they paying New York City taxes? Because, like, I pay state and city, right? But, like, because that might be why he wants them to come back. 
There could Maybe. be all sorts of reasons. You got to yeah. imagine if you're making that much money, you're probably hiring somebody that's making you keep as much of that as possible. Right. So it's probably more about him looking to get donations from people or like the off like angel investment or things like that, that like keep the perception of wealth, mm, but not right. like any structural actual advantages. Mm, right. You know? Like buying up fancy apartments that like remain empty. Right. And like that kind of thing where it's like, you know, almost full, the new tower, grab it now. But it's right. like, is anyone living there or do, are they just bought? Yeah. Put someone in a lower tax bracket. Right. Like, yeah. I don't support that part of it. But yeah. if they're, yeah. yeah. I don't know. One day I'll learn how to. I don't know. Work. I don't know how it works. We should. We'll have to have our accountant on to let us know how that works. Yes. <laughs> I'll ask my grandma. <laughs> <laughs> Your grandma's secretly accountant to billionaires. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God! Wouldn't that be amazing? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I think this is a, a really great place to put a peg in. I unless... have one more thing. Ooh, I can't sure. wait. I want, and I wanted to end it because. I know there's something that you've been doing a little bit of that I didn't know if you wanted to maybe plug on here or sure. talk about a little bit, but yeah. when you were talking about your apartment and you moved to Queens and I know that you decorated your apartment, yes. and is that something that you have been maybe doing? It is a little bit, actually some exciting news. So just to fill everyone in on what Jesse's talking about is I earlier this year launched an Instagram account called Alexa Fix My Apartment because friends of mine have been really interested in how I've decorated mine with a focus on sustainable pieces. So like 90% of the furniture in my house I either found on the street or bought on Craigslist or have secondhand. Um, enough people in New York City are rich and have amazing things that they're just getting rid of because it's literally easier than disposing of them properly. Mm -hmm. And no one in New York should it be buying any designer furniture new because it's here already. Mm -hmm. um, so I've been working on creating content for that and kind of coming up with a business plan for it. But somebody reached out and I did a consult. I consulted with them last week. A stranger had me into their house during oh. this time. Masks were on. Mm -hmm. um, I have antibodies, so I asked him like, are you comfortable like with my mask on? Could I have it off? Or do you want yours off? Let me know. Masks came off eventually. Mm -hmm. I don't feel like I'm going to get sick at this point again. But. Um, we went through his place and I told him that because it's the summer and I'm taking time off and I also have a full-time job, I would get him something in like before the end of the month, before mm -hmm. September. Uh, so I'm still working on that, but it is something that I want to offer friends and loved ones that when you move into a new apartment and like the thing about New York is when you move into a new place, you have to have furniture specific to that space because mm -hmm. it's so small. And with that comes a lot of waste and like money spent on new things. And like if you have someone help guide you and source cheaper pieces and then can maybe repurpose the ones that you're getting rid of with someone else, like there can be this amazing network. And frankly, like Stooping NYC mm -hmm. has seen exponential growth. And I'm like kicking myself for not starting that Instagram, but like that on its own is showing New Yorkers that like, it's here, it's all right. here. You mm -hmm. don't have to go on Wayfair and pay for shipping and then get styrofoam mailed to you mm -hmm. from another state because that's bad for the planet. And it's already existing in New York. Like anyone watching this who's like, I'm dying to get my hands on like this one piece of furniture, type it into Craigslist every two days. Yeah. And one day it's gonna be there. Like that's how I got my orange bar. That's how I got my custom sofa that when it was first built was $2,500 that I picked up for 400. Ugh. Like just, it's out there. Like just, you need to put in the time to look for it, mm -hmm. but it saves you thousands of dollars. Yeah. And that's what I'm here to help people do. You put in the time or you hire you. Exactly. Yeah. One more plug for the Instagram. Alexa fix my apartment. Alexa fix my apartment. Apartment APT. Nice. 
That sounds great. Yeah. I don't know if I've ever seen it. I'm going to go check it as oh, soon as we're done oh, with this. Oh, thank you. Yeah. yeah. Give me some likes. Yeah. <laughs> like for like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a blood pact. We're in this together. Right? This is all why right. we're here. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, thank you all so much uh, for listening to the show. Uh, we have all of our, you know, Instagram, YouTube, Spotify, whatever you're not on right now, go to that other thing right now and then uh, like it or something. Mm -hmm. Thanks so much. And uh, until next time when we're going to uptown Manhattan to finish our first loop of the Manhattan area, take care.